2020. Not only does it impact our production, but also has an impact on the communities that we're operating in. The kind of collaboration and participation that we require from government is just ensuring that we have that stability within the policy landscape. Um, Director of Guinness Ghana Breweries, uh, Sylvia Owusu Ankoma. Now, removing the cost barrier element in acquiring smart devices, according to the Chief Business Officer of Etel Chico Business, Ethel Anamu, is critical in promoting digitization inclusion. According to her, ensuring that individuals can have access to affordable devices will encourage more people to use smart devices to, to transact business. The Chief Business Officer of Etel Chico Business made this call when she spoke to Joy Business are the launch of the FlexiPlus smartphone offer for workers. It's an entry barrier to acquiring a smartphone. So we've decided to take that entry barrier off by allowing uh, employees, workers in private and public institutions to come on board, just pay your monthly fee and you have the, the devices. Really, this is our contribution to ensuring that most workers have smartphones to use uh, to do their business. Uh, affordability has become an issue for most uh, workers in the country today. So we are saying that we are taking that entry barrier off Come on board on the Flexi Plus, and then we afford you any device of your choice. And then we are also contributing to a digitization agenda. Chief Business Officer of Airtel Tico Business, Ethel Anamo. You're still listening to the Job Business Report. Two other stories now. In fact, our business journal for Friday. In recent times, every traditional wording has one way or the other a featured variety of the historic kinte cloth. Have you wondered how your kinte is weaved? As popular and international as it is, do you know weavers have had to import yarns from China before it can be made? This has seen the cost of kente spike, making it expensive in recent times. Today on our business journal, Prince Apia takes us through the kente business and how the absence of a yarn factory in Ghana is affecting cost and production. It's a very important cloth in the history of Nasantamang and to a large extent Ghana. But the absence of a yarn factory here is a major concern for the weaving industry. Made of carefully interwoven yarns, it is fed into the stretch of wooden slabs tied together to form the full-scale loom. The yarns, a very important ingredient without which there is no kente. Here at Bunri, Kumibwache, an SHS graduate, has been weaving for 11 since 2009. Against all odds, including bad roads, he explains how high cost of yarns is pushing many people out of business. The yarns, they are facing more challenges. And sometimes when there is a shortage of, of the yarns, they increase the charge. Instead of a cone like this, selling at 3 cities, they would sell it at 3 cities, 50 pesos. And then to complete a can size of or a, a can size of a, a kinto cloth, some of them consume a, about 40 cones. If the money is increased, how much more are you going to gain to? Save for your future. The neatly woven strips of fabrics are sewn beautifully together 
into four pieces of kinte cloth at the Kumasi Central Market as the leading supplier of yarns for kinte in Ashanti region. Shop attendant Gideon Enchi says persistent skyrocketing in the rate of the dollar against the Ghanaian city is reason for high cost of yarns. We import the goods from the China, so it costs. Because when you are going, going for the goods, we change for the dollars. The dollar is not stable, and then it's affecting our, our business. The situation has compelled businessmen like Collins Boache to import Chinese-made kinti cloth to produce assorted bags. We are using both the imported and the wavy kinti pack. And the price is like determined by the kind of cloth that you are going to use to make the whole bag. At the recent launch of the Kinti Festival, traditional authorities declared their readiness to lease four acres of land for construction of a yarn factory. This comes in the face of a promise by government to construct a yarn factory as part of its industrialization policy. Frank Sapong is a treasurer for the Kinto Weavers Association at Bonre. We have petitioned the president about the one district, one factory project. Since Kinto originated from here, if we get the yarn factory here, weavers from other places will all come here. The youth will get jobs as well. Until this becomes a reality, prices of Kente products will continue to soar at the expense of growth of the industry. For Joy Business, Prince Apia, reporting. Well, on, on that traditional note, we end this edition of the Joy Business Report with me, Charles Ayati. Coming up next is the local room with George Addo Jr. This day. I'm at the bank. Really? But your car is in front of your house. Bro, my bank on my phone, Charlie. Oh, how? Ecobank, bro. With Ecobank Mobile app, I can do everything, anywhere, anytime. Listen, I just checked my account balance, paid Amazon school fees, and sent money to my grandma at Wale Wale. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Masa, just download the Ecobank Mobile app from the Google Play Store or the App Store or dial star 770 hash and be your own bank manager. Manager, manager. Whether to pay bills or fees, to check account statements, Send money across Ghana, abroad, and more. Ecobank Mobile app has got it covered. Ecobank Mobile, making everyday people live everyday lives the Ecobank way. Ecobank, the Pan African Bank. For the following announcement Nana Ameni Ankara, Atim Nkwantin Hene, Obahima Nana Akodoma, Atim Nkwantin Hema, Nana Okumasa, Nkwantin Obusunya Penning. Opinion Kweku Tano Achim Kwateng Oyokwa Ebusyapini. Opinion Kweku Dumpedu. Oba opinion Akosia Enima regrets to announce the death of the late Daniel Yao Ansa Osei. He died age seventy nine. Funeral arrangements are as follows. There will be no way keeping. Friday the first of november twenty nineteen, the body will be laid for public viewing at his residence. House number 12, Providence Avenue, all right, Akim or down from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Burial service will take place on Saturday, the 2nd 
of November 2019 from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. At the St. Luke Methodist Church Akimoda, Newtown, burial will take place at his hometown, Akim Nkwanteng, armed party from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Final funeral rites begin immediately after burial on the 2nd of November 2019 at the St. Luke Methodist Church Park, Akimoda, Newtown at 2 p.m. Thanksgiving service will take place on Sunday, the 3rd of November 2019 at the St. Luke Methodist Church Park, Akimoda, Newtown at 9 a.m. Continuation of the funeral rites take place at 1 p.m. Children, Madam Margaret Menu Odan, Juliana Osei, Akra, Enoch Owusu Ansa, USA, Stella Osei, Akra, Isaac Osei Owusu, Akra. All friends and sympathizers are cordially invited. Abusuyan Nipa Nai Odai Amonta of Chidian family, Nai Kobina Tete, Kobina Tuntum, Kobina Labi, Kwashi Dako. Kwame Echampon, Nai Kofi Amokondo, Georgina Derby, the Dansaman Division Commander, ACP Isaac Asante, regrets to announce the death of their beloved. Inspector James Sankofi retired, which occurred on the 15th of September 2019 at the Kolibu Polyclinic. Funeral arrangements are as follows. Burial service takes place on the 2nd of November 2019 at 7am at the Calvary Methodist Church, Awutubriku. Interment takes place at the Awutubriku Methodist Cemetery. Thanksgiving service takes place on the 3rd of November at the Calvary Methodist Church, Awutubriku. Widow, Mrs. Faustina Tete. Children, Alex Sankofi, Frederick Sankofi, Gabriel Sankofi, Abeku Sankofi, Manuel Sankofi and Victoria Sankofi. Grandchildren, six. All friends and sympathizers are cordially invited. That's all for the announcements. Thank you very much for your attention. For all your sports news in the locker room. Hello, I'm Sarah Mulkerns, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the very best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to George Addo Jr. on the locker room on Joy 99.7 FM. Live on radio, live online, this is the locker room on Joy 99.7 FM with George Addo Jr. History beckons this weekend as South Africa Springboks bit to catch New Zealand's All Blacks on three Rugby World Cup titles where they take on the one-time champions England in this year's World Cup final in Japan. Halfpenny, it is goal off the boot of Lee Halfpenny. Andre Pollard lasers it. Africa, no.
Springboks last won the title 12 years ago and a special grudge match is anticipated in the Yokohama final tomorrow. We'll be in London and Johannesburg to gauge how both cities are gearing up for the clash. Kumasiya Santikotsko, Ayanaivi Coast to defend their 1-0 win recorded in the first leg tie of the CAF Confederations Cup playoff against FC San Pedro. The odds are stuck against coach Zakariasen and his boys, but they're confident. I respect this team very well. You know, you sometimes stand on the bench and then you look at your opposition team for things that they are doing. You know, the character that the San Pedro are having, I wish, I wish, I'm telling you, gentlemen, if our, our boys also will have this kind of character that they show this afternoon, I think we will also come out with flying colors in Abidjan. We keep our tabs on the other concluding ties ahead of the big group stage commencement of next season's CAF Confederations Cup. We are around the world to preview the weekend's domestic games to come ahead of UEFA Champions League match day four in England. Lampard's high-flying youngsters are away to Watford. Aston Villa taking Liverpool. Manchester United and Arsenal face tricky tests at Bournemouth and Wolverhampton Wanderers. We've got a complete preview to the EPL, Serie A, Bundesliga, La Liga and French Liga ahead. Also coming up, Formula One. We are all set here. It is Mexico City. And it's lights out and away we go. Leclerc gets away well, as does Vettel and Hamilton and Verstappen. They're all in the same order as now Vettel tries to pull into the slipstream of his teammate. And there is Hamilton getting squeezed onto the grass and that's cost him a bit. And he's alongside Max Verstappen. Alex Albon keeping ahead of the two McLarens. Charles Leclerc into turn one. Ahead of Vettel, Verstappen on the inside and Hamilton is forced a little bit wide. Hamilton comes home to win the Mexico Grand Prix. Sebastian Vettel finishes in second place. Valtteri Bottas keeps the title fight alive with third Mercedes Ferrari Mercedes Ferrari Hamilton wins in Mexico the 19th race of the season comes a week after the Mexican Grand Prix which Luis Hamilton won to move to the brink of a sit well title Valtteri Bottas is the only driver who can catch Hamilton but he must win in Texas and hope his Mercedes teammates finishes outside the top eight to extend the title race any further Hamilton is 74 points ahead of his teammate Valtteri Bottas with only 78 points available in the remainder of the season Victory or even a strong finish at the United States Grand Prix is all the brick needs for glory. Analysis to come. If you'd like to send us a message on the locker room, we'd love to read them on our social media accounts. Joy slash 99.7 on Facebook, 0244340437 on WhatsApp and Telegram, or you can tweet it at Joy Sports GH. We'll be in France for updates on the ongoing Rolex Masters and in California to preview the WBC Super Featherweight bout between Miguel Bichelt and Jason Souza. Time to talk about what the world is talking about in the world of sport. Hello from me, George Adichunia, and welcome to Preview Friday. All right, so we're calling the Arsenal fans out this afternoon. On the locker room, enjoy 99.7 FM. Uh, quite a number of you already reacting to our question on our Facebook page. Now... It's a very simple question now, guys. Are you not being too harsh on Unai Emery, considering his time at the club? So, uh, lots of your messages. I've got some interesting messages already. And the Aston fans are coming out with the messages. These are like theses, I must tell you now. One from Yao Nambu says, it's good, or it's good enough. That's what you say. Uh, we're getting these positions or better under Wenger. So, you mean it's not good enough? He didn't get that well. It says... Uh, he was brought in to do better, and he hasn't. Besides, the amount of fans uh, he spends doesn't really measure up. 
Yeah, Poku Ray says he has never been consistent. He, he doesn't have a consistent first 11 and a consistent formation. One could justify by saying uh, the set formation according to the team he plays. But ask yourself if he's achieving any results. Just review Arsenal's last seven games last season. Arsenal had a better chance of qualifying for the Champions League than Chelsea and Tottenham Hotspur. Yet he lost all four matches to lower-ranked teams. Arsenal struggled to win against the lower-ranked team. You don't know what you're getting from them, especially with his game plan and, of course, direction. He is taking the team nowhere. He must go. More of your comments as we go through. We'll have a little discussion on Arsenal here as well and activate the phone lines for Arsenal fans to get into it. But, of course, there's always a good place to start from. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. Halfpenny... Pollard lasers it. They're in the lead, South Africa. It's going to top. South Africa punch their ticket. They are off to the biggest game in rugby. They are World Cup finalists. Next week, it'll be the Springboks v England. Too good for Wales here. Full time, South Africa, 19, Wales, 16. So no better place to start on the locker room than the Rugby World Cup. And after six weeks of pulsating rugby, we know now it will be England and South Africa competing in the World Cup final in Yokohama tomorrow. It was very much a case of mixed emotions over the gripping semi-final last weekend. Of course, pure joy at England's stunning performance against New Zealand and deep depression at Wales falling so painfully close yet again at the last four stage, following South Africa's impression of a steamroller in their three-point victory over the battling brave Welsh. The Springboks now know if they play in the same one-dimensional way against Eddie Jones' men, uh, they will be defeated. So let's get a bit of perspective as we look forward to the Yokohama final tomorrow. And joining me on the line from South Africa is a senior rugby reporter, Liam Becker. Liam, thank you very much for your time. And we know Chelsea and Colby could return to the Springbok starting lineup for Saturday's Rugby World Cup final against England. The Star Wingham missed the semi-final victory over Wales. And what's the only change from the team that overcame Japan in the quarterfinals? How big a boost is this? Thanks for having me. Yeah, Chesley Colby's return is a big boost for South Africa. Uh, Spoon Corsi filled that role in the wing without fault, and he's probably a little bit unlucky not to have a spot in the starting lineup. But Colby just has that X factor about him. You know, he's that sort of rare talent who's able to create something from nothing or produce a moment of magic. And in a World Cup final, that's exactly the sort of player you're looking for. I don't think his return is going to bring about too much of a tactical change from South Africa's point of view. Uh, but if you're looking for a match winner, then he is definitely your guy. South Africa two-time champions, last won the title in 2007. How big will another win be, aside levelling the All Blacks' three-time winning record? Winning the World Cup is always a special achievement. Um, so to bring home a third title on Saturday would be massive for the Springboks, yeah, especially where the country's coming from. Uh, over the last couple of years, Rossi Erasmus and Siaklisi have had to drag South African rugby out of a pretty dark place. And I think lifting the William Weir Ellis Trophy will put the country back on the map from a, from a sporting point of view, which, to be fair, I think they've already done, regardless of how the final plays out on Saturday. Um, it hasn't always been pretty. and uh, As you say, at times, the, the play has been, been a bit one-dimensional, but this group has gone further than most people would have expected. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Uh, England are, are probably favourites heading into the match. 
but there's a lot of expectation, a lot of support coming from South Africa, and I think it will be an incredible achievement for them to bring the title back home. Liam will be watching the final between South Africa and England tomorrow. Thank you very much for your time on the show, as always. Right, so Rugby Cup final out of the way. We now have to get into boxing. And yes, there is a big showdown in Las Vegas tomorrow night as Russian Sergei Kovalev, the WBO lightweight champion, stands up to the challenge from Sal Canelo Alvarez. Now, Alvarez, you know, is originally in the middleweight, but is hoping to conquer another division. Joyce Sports editor Nathan Arata has been looking forward to this bout on the locker room. The description for this bout is pretty straightforward and simple. It's two crafty and hard-punching boxers crossing each other's path at this point in their respective careers. But it surely will be Saul Canelo Alvarez who will be the more daring of the two considering that he's moving two clear weight classes to face the champion of the WBO in the light heavyweight division in Sergei Kovalev. Saul Canelo Alvarez has a good record of 52 wins and one loss. That one loss obviously came from Floyd Mayweather Jr. And 35 of these wins have come by way of knockout. Sergei Kovalev, on the other hand, who's known as the crusher in the ring, has 34 wins, 3 losses and 1 draw, with 29 of the wins coming by way of knockout. Sergei Kovalev is very comfortable in his division and is confident of the fact that that is his space and will never be desecrated by the Mexican. The Mexican also has a very big ambition of sealing his legendary status in the boxing ring and also is looking forward to a win that will seal his place as an inductee of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Sergei Kovalev insists that the weight division is his space and will surely deliver a class act one more time. There's a lot of talk about how there's a failing relationship between Saul Canelo Alvarez and his promoter Oscar de la Hoya. The bone of contention is the period when his IBF title was stripped. He has never forgiven Oscar de la Hoya and his team at Golden Boy for what he's described as disloyalty. It surely is about that most of the people in the boxing world will be interested in. But the question of who it goes to tomorrow night in Las Vegas is a question which can only be answered after the 12 rounds of boxing. Nathaniel Atto there, looking forward to that big bout. We'll be keeping tabs on that as well. Remember that you can send us your messages on our WhatsApp line 0244340437. We're asking you, the Arsenal fans, aren't you being just too harsh on Unai Emery considering what he has done in 18 months? And of course, we we're just talking about the fact that, yes, he's currently fifth on the Premier League log, finished fifth last season, one point behind Chelsea, was in the Europa League final last season. What's more? We've got more of your messages here. We'll get into all of that on the show. Live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. We are all set here. It is Mexico City and it's lights out and away we go. Leclerc gets away well as does Vettel and Hamilton and Verstappen. They're all in the same order as now Vettel tries to pull into the slipstream of his teammate Lewis Hamilton getting squeezed onto the grass and that's cost him a bit and he's alongside Max Verstappen. Alex Albon keeping ahead of the two McLarens. Charles Leclerc into turn one. Ahead of Vettel Verstappen on the inside and Hamilton is forced a little bit wide. Hamilton comes home to win the Mexico Grand Prix. Sebastian Vettel finishes in second place. Valtteri Bottas keeps the title final alive with third Mercedes Ferrari Mercedes Ferrari Hamilton wins in Mexico so Formula 1 next on the locker room and Lewis Hamilton could clinch a sit Formula 1's drivers championship with victory in Texas this weekend and the Mercedes man looks on good form to secure the required points 
Hamilton is 74 points away from his teammate Valtteri Bottas with only 78 points available in the remainder of the season. Victory or even a strong finish at the United States Grand Prix is all the Brit needs for glory. Hamilton is a seasoned winner on this track, having emerged victorious in five of the seven previous USA F1 Grand Prix in Austin. Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc will be desperate for victory here, as will last year's runner-up Max Verstappen. So let's look at what is built to be a momentous Sunday in Austin. And joining me with some analysis is Raymond Nyamadu. Raymond, thanks for your time. And definitely, the Mexico Grand Prix was a big win for Hamilton. But considering he had to manage his ties for such a long time, where does this place him in the list of world-class drivers? Well, George, Mexico was exciting and we saw lots of interesting things happen in Mexico. That superbly controlled drive from Lewis Hamilton and we saw that tactical fight between Ferrari and, and the Mercedes on, on, on race day. We also saw how four drivers actually had a go in the final laps of that particular race. And it just tells you how competitive it's been in the last few races in this year's championship and it was pretty tense and dramatic. We saw Lewis Hamilton actually, you know, questioning his team as to whether he could actually make it. We saw that his car was slightly damaged after that collision with Max Verstappen and he had to actually power through his way to the top in that particular race and we all saw how Team Ferrari lost pole position. Uh, I think that it started from Red Bull. Verstappen lost pole position. We all saw Charles Leclerc actually also lose it after his pit stop after 15 laps and it was pretty exciting but the brilliance of Lewis Hamilton, you won't go past it and I think that he's actually written his name in the history books is one that should be considered you look at Juan Manuel Fangio you look at Michael Schumacher and then the next person you can quickly talk about is Lewis Hamilton this man fantastic he's actually done what the sports need he's given them entertainment he's, he's actually been very smart he's been a very smart driver he hasn't been a dirty driver as many would actually label other drivers but he's done the right things on the circuit he's actually made the right course he's actually taking the right decisions and on race day Everybody looks out for Lewis Hamilton and what he's going to do. And I think that, look, if you talk about Formula One, we, we all saw the dominance of Schumacher in the, in the early 2000s. I think that this era has seen one fine driver in Lewis Hamilton. Raymond, let's talk Austin then. Hamilton, we're looking to seal the championship here. How easy does it get? Lewis Hamilton's work is well cut out for him. All he needs to do is to make sure that he keeps a 52-point lead, or let's say that he doesn't lose more than 22 points to his teammate Valtteri Bottas. And so he needs to go out there in Austin. He has to go out there and dominate once again. And that's a very happy hunting ground for him. He's actually won there on a couple of occasions. And definitely, like you rightly said, he's, he's the king of that circuit. He's been one of the most successful drivers on that circuit. In fact, he's been the most successful driver on that circuit. And so you just expect him to go there and then do his thing again. And I think that he's shown a lot of promise. He's shown a lot of fight, despite the fact that he hasn't started from pole in the last couple of races. I think that he's been able to actually fight back wherever he's been on the grid. He's been able to fight back to actually win races. And so... This is the perfect time for him to become the second man in history to actually win more than five Formula One titles. And I don't see anything stopping Lewis Hamilton in this weekend's race. I think that he's worked for the success. He's worked for the team. He's taken team orders very well. He's done. He's shown his dominance. He's been very smart and everything, like I said earlier. And I think that this could just be the crowning moment for him. And let's not forget that he normally wraps it up in Mexico. He failed to do it in Mexico. And I think that this is the perfect opportunity for him to wrap up his championship title. And I don't 
see anybody stopping Lewis Hamilton in this particular. So I think that everything is pointing to uh, Lewis Hamilton victory or uh, Lewis Hamilton making sure that he gets the maximum points to ensure that he beats Valtteri Bottas and he doesn't get he doesn't keep Valtteri Bottas mathematical chance of winning the championship you know alive and so I think that all is set for Lewis Hamilton to win in Austin so let's see if the leader becomes a champion this weekend but Ray Max Verstappen caused a stare in Mexico last weekend it was a race he could and should have won but didn't because of some naivety and disregard for the rules. Should we expect a stronger Max in Austin? It's always very interesting talking about Max Verstappen because this is a driver who at times shows a lot of promise and at times also, you know, comes out for a lot of criticism, comes out for a lot of slack. And you look at the race in Mexico, he clearly, he clearly, you know, violated you know, racing rules, and he was he was supposed to actually slow down when the, the yellow flags were waved. He decided to ignore it, and again, we all saw how he was stripped off the pole position. That was an opportunity for him to actually win his third consecutive Mexican Grand Prix, but he failed simply because of what many believe was arrogance. And there's one driver who's been labeled as a hothead, and his driving style has actually come under a lot of criticism. And many believe that you know he has a mix of courage and recklessness in his driving and so you know Max Verstappen is not one driver that you can rely on when it comes to you know going into into races and then dominating he's quite an on and off driver and so it's very difficult but I think that expects nothing much from him in Austin because Austin is not a happy hunting ground for Red Bull it's certainly not a happy hunting ground for him as well let's not forget the fact that he 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 came in second in the last race in 2018 but I still think that it's 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 not one happy hunting ground for him and I don't think that he's going to show his dominance in Austin, I don't, I, don't, I, I won't give Max Verstappen a chance in this race. I think that he has a lot of sorting out to do and bounce back next season. I think that he has to clear his head. He has to get his head in the right state and probably come back stronger next season. But I don't think that he's going to cause an upset in Austin, especially looking at his race antics and how nobody seems to be in favor of what they call his dirty driving. I think that a lot of that will play against Max Verstappen in Austin. Finally, Ray, uh, what are your predictions? I'm talking about podium predictions for this race. Well, in terms of dominance on the circuit, we all know that Lewis Hamilton is number one, the most successful driver on that circuit. And so it's difficult to see anything apart from a Lewis Hamilton win. And so I'm expecting Lewis Hamilton to win. But we've seen Ferrari actually show some strong performances apart from, you know, them actually making mistakes and losing races that they should have won. I think that this is a race that Ferrari would come in very strong. They've actually shown some promise, you know, getting to the end of the season. So I think that Lewis Hamilton has safe competition coming from the two Ferrari drivers and so I think that we are going to see a one for Lewis Hamilton and the two three might possibly go to Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc I don't see Vettel Bottas doing too much in this race I think that he himself would be quick or he'll be eager to see Lewis Hamilton wrap up the championship so I think that we are going to see a one for Mercedes two three four Ferrari in this particular race thank you very much Ray for your time Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr.
Continental Action then and Ghana Soul representatives in Africa seek to defend their 1-0 advantage against San Pedro in the CAF Confederations Cup playoff. Now, the Pokemon Warriors have to fight for a favorable result in Ivory Coast to compete in the group stage of the competition. They fairly did well in last season. Coach Zachariasen and his boys are set to have the final shakeup ahead of the assignments in Ivory Coast. My colleague from Love FM, Kelvin Owusuansa, watched the team train before embarking on the trip and joins me with some analysis. Uh, thank you very much, Kelvin. First things first. After the performance of San Pedro in Ghana, which conversations have you picked up amongst players and how difficult this task is? Well, George, it was a very difficult game for Kumasi Asante Kotoko. And judging from what transpired the Barbara Sports Stadium, most of the players and a number of them whom I've spoken to have really thought uh, of how difficult this thing is going to be for them, especially how resolute and uh, disciplined um, San Pedro are with regards to their tactical um, shape and then keeping their defensive units as solid and resolute just like they did at the Barbara Sports Stadium for the two days of one um, game of 90 minutes that was played in Kumasi. And you even heard it from the coach, uh, the uh, second um, assistant uh, to the Zakarison, that is Rafael Akapopatron, uh, who made it very clear and emphatic that he was really impressed with the discipline of the San Pedro team and should their players replicate such performances away, they are definitely going to come uh, on as victors and uh, probably progress to the next stage of the competition. And for me, that is exactly what most of the players are and are saying right after the game, the captain himself Navigate and the rest feel that judging from what San Pedro did, they can also go to um, Abidjan where the game will be played and do exactly that. They can replicate that sort of mentality, that resolute defensive uh, unit organization and shape that they've always uh, been keeping to themselves. But uh, that notwithstanding, there's still a number of things which need to be attended to. And you ask yourself, how are things going to pan out for Kumase Asante? That is left with the coach, Zetos Akarison, to inspire the players and instill in them that discipline, just like the Algerian coach has done for San Pedro. Let's talk about the men available for the clash. And are there any injury worries for coach Zakariasen? Well, George, for the men available, Kumatias and Tukotoko have most of their players available, but the defensive unit is where they seem to be having problems. There's still injury worries for, um, that is, um, Wahab Adams, and they are contemplating on whether he could be able to make it. Well, we're still waiting for confirmation, but uh, judging from the team that will travel, it doesn't look too likely that he's going to make it because of injury worries, but they are still waiting for a late fitness test on Friday evening. Should he make it? Well, they will fly him straight to Abidjan to join the team. But Kotoko will still be without the services of um, Habib Mohamed, who was shown a red card in a tour during the Champions League qualification to the group stages. So he's training with the National Under 23, the Black Meteors, ahead of the Afghan Under 23 in Egypt. But judging from what we've seen from the training sessions, that tells the garrison could only make a change uh, in his defensive unit, bringing on Augustin Sifat right back and then getting Ajimambedu to partner MP. Da Costa in central defense. It was very evident that Steven Ayukuta struggled against San Pedro last Sunday and Monday, and definitely he wouldn't want to have such a loose defense in an away game in Abidjan. Kelvin, finally, then, what is your probable starting lineup 
against San Pedro. Well, Coach Zeto Zakaris is expected to keep his 11 that he started the game with here at the Kumase Barbera Sports Stadium where he won over San Pedro by Longo Tereo, Felix Anani Post, and uh, he should keep um, that is uh, Emmanuel Lejimambedu at right back. In central defense, it looks increasingly that Wahab Adams may probably shrug off that injury and join. So you expect Tempem Costa and Wahab to be in that central defense. Seven Aikutete may probably drop into uh, the bench. Ivan uh, also looks to be the likely option in away games or because he wants to go defensively and Patrick Yeboah may probably lose his position. But between the two, any of them could feature for Zacharias inside. Jordan Poco has been dropped and it tells that Colin Samaya would pa- uh, battle with a place for some of Paul who is traveling with the team alongside Justice Blaine Central Vitolo. Gastiroka maintains his position from the right-hand side of midfield. Ivan Ojemfri from the left-hand side of midfield. And then Sonia Yakuba will lead the attack. But as in whether it's going to be Richard Arthur or Nabi Keita would be a final decision of the coach. It doesn't look too good for um, Richard Arthur after Nabi Keita came on from the bench to impress upon in the second half of the game against San Pedro and eventually getting the match winner from the sport. These are the 11 probably that should be in there for Kumatia Santikotoko come Sunday. Thank you very much, Kelvin. And we wish to call the very best of luck in that game against San Pedro in Ivory Coast. But of course, let's stick with the subject of the CAF Confederations Cup playoff. And there are more concluding ties ahead of the group stage. African football expert Noah Adams is on the line to have a look at the key fixtures. Thank you very much, Noah, for your time on the show. Which are the games to pay attention to? And are there any upsets in the offing? Thanks once again, George. Um, looking at the first leg results, I think some of the ties have been concluded already. Um, looking at um, Pyramids FC of Egypt going to Tanzania to beat Young Africans by two goals to one. <laughs> There's no way Young Africans can overturn that score. And then this time they are not even playing at home. Zanako FC of Zambia also went to Equatorial Guinea to beat Kano Sports Academy by three goals to one. Um, it should be a done deal for Zanako FC in the second leg. Bit vet with of South Africa. Um, this aside, many people have been bashing because looking at the kind of squad they are having, looking at the kind of the performances they've been churning out in South Africa in recent years, people feel they are a group stage team. So until this season, they weren't taking the CAF Convention Cup and CAF Champions League serious. But um, with little effort this season, they've been able to to get closer to the group stages. They went Mozambique to beat UD Songo by two goals to one. And I think um, they, they should be able to um, make it to the group stages in the second leg. They are playing at home. Joliba AC of Mali also traveled to Chad to beat elect spot by a goal to zero. Joliba should be able to, to, to seal the deal in Bamako. El Masri had the easiest of all the ties. They went to Seychelles to beat Cote d'Or by 4 goals to 0. In the second leg, we are expecting something like 6 0, 7 0, 8 0 for El Masri. FC Noadibu of Mauritania having a 2 0 advantage going in the game against Triangle United of Zimbabwe. If they are able to qualify, they are going to be the first club for Mauritania to make it to the group stages of, a, of CAF club competition. Proline FC of Uganda, if they are able to, to make it to the group stages. It will be the first time they are achieving that in the history of African football. One of the shocking results in the first leg was FC SI of Benin going all the way to Senegal to beat Generation Foot by a goal to zero. So FC SI of Benin could be the first team in Benin to make it to the group stages of CAF Club competition. So, Fossa Juniors of Madagascar shockingly beat RS Bekane by two goals to zero in the first leg. Yes, 
Um, they are traveling to Morocco to play Bekani. We know how formidable Bekani are when they are they, they play at home. So definitely, it's going to be a tough nut for Fossa Juniors to crack. But I'm, uh, if they are able to do it, it's going to be historic. They will be the first Madagascar club to, to be in the group stages of CAF club competition. So, Horoya AC of Guinea, yes, they got a very comfortable win, four goals to two at home to Bandari FC of Kenya. But um, they are going away in the second leg. If Bandari are able to get two unanswered goals, it means they are eliminating Horoya AC. Hassani Agadi of Morocco went to Zambia to play Grenegos and it was 1-1. Hassani Agadi playing at home. Looking at what they did in the Congressional Cup last season, I think they, they stand a better chances of qualifying to the group stages of the CAF Confederation Cup. Paradu AC, newcomers from Algeria, having been able to eliminate clubs like CX Faxian, they, they also have an advantage to be in the group stages for the first time in the history of the CAF Confederation Cup. Making the CAF Confederation Cup. Goma here also failed to, to take their home advantage when they played against DC Motema Pembe. It was 1 1. I think Motema Pembe playing the second leg at home can make it to the group stages. Nuhu Adams there with the analysis. Let's see how it all goes. We're building up to the start of the Confederations Cup. Let's see the guys who get themselves into right there in the group stages. Of course, your messages are coming through. Arsenal fans definitely on the board. We'll be having that discussion. Unai Emery, are you, be, are you guys just being too harsh uh, after all the work he's done for you in the past 18 months now? Felix Kujo sending a message from Qatar says that no, we're not. He was brought in to improve the team. He's not done that. Our defense is still weak as anything. Our way record is still nothing to write home about and the current events have proving he's not in firm control of the dressing room. We probably have one of the best attacking forces in English football if not in Europe. In fact, I believe we have a better team than Leicester but just look at what Brendan Rogers is doing with them. He must simply leave our club. Uh, Ike Nanamponza says, good afternoon George. Arsenal fans must give Unai peace to fix the mess and with time all will get better. After all, this isn't new to us now as a team. Hey, are you sure? And he says greetings to Ole's friend <laughs> Lampard. All right. So let's get more coming up in terms of your messages. Uh, calling to say what she says, Arsenal's main challenger or main challenge was the defense before he came in. What has he done to improve it? Nothing. But it's actually worsened, according to you. Uh, I thought he's gone already in Pope. Please, he's still there. Kofi Akuna says, since the start of the season, he has never had one consistent lineup. Every week he changes his team. Uh, Emery should be asked as soon as possible. So now let's head now for the Joy Sports BBC two-way series. I had a wonderful chat with the BBC's John Bennett. Do enjoy. time this weekend and let's begin with the contentious bar decisions that plagued the Premier League last weekend. Now there's still a comprehension gap between officials, managers, players and fans alike about its use. How complicated does it get? With managers already suggesting it's a bit surprising to know the images are reviewed in London. Yeah, I got my uh, first real experience of VAR um, a couple of weekends ago when I was doing the 
Aston Villa game uh, against Brighton and I, I, I've reported on Premier League games before that this season but not I really had a VAR incident and I had an incident when Connor Harahan scored I did a, my report saying he'd scored and then two, three minutes later I had to do another report saying it had been disallowed by the video assistant referee so it's really changing the game it's changing how spectators watch the game how journalists watch the game how people at home watch the game as well on their TVs and it is complicated people have pointed to the fact that they are miles away watching these games the video assistant referees there in London that actually works pretty well in the Bundesliga they do that in the Bundesliga I think the um, the, the referees watch it from Cologne and they that, that, I don't think that has a huge impact because even if they're at the game they'd be at a truck in a car park so whether you're in a truck in a car park or miles away in London, I don't think it really makes a difference. The key thing for me, and the key question I have to ask is, why aren't the on-pitch referees using the screen, which is available to them, in the technical area between the two dugouts? That worked really well at the World Cup in Russia last year, but there's been a reluctance to, to do that here. I think that's going to change. There have been meetings this week with referees, meetings with Premier League chairman, and I think what's going to happen is, and I, and I can see it happening this weekend, referees will start going over to use the screen next to the dugout so they can make the decision, not the guys at Stockley Park, you know, the video assistant referees. So that, for me, is something to watch this weekend. Will that happen? Will, in the Premier League, for the first time, a referee go over to the screen between the dugouts? Granite Xhaka's incident with fans at the Emirates and the 2-2 draw with Crystal Palace has dominated the discussions all week down here. His manager, Unai Emery, agrees the player was wrong. But there's a growing sense the atmosphere created by Gunners or the Emirates needs to vastly improve. Yeah, I think that's that's true. And I, I really hope this is the turning point. That The last weekend was the turning point. I, and I hope that Unai Emery selects Granite Xhaka for the game against Wolves at the Emirates Stadium because I believe that the Arsenal fans will give him a rapturous reception. I think 99% of those Arsenal fans... Are, are, are fans who will get behind their players, get behind the manager. There's always that minority who um, think that giving players abuse will be helpful to the team. It's not never helpful, and we saw that. I'm sure a lot of players were watching Granite Xhaka and saying that I've been close to doing that before. I wish I'd done that before, because they must have be sick of the abuse. Buying a ticket to get into a Premier League game does not give you the licence to scream abuse at the players. Yes, you can boo after the game, but don't get personal. And we've seen it on Instagram, on Twitter. He gets personal abuse and his family gets abuse as well, which is even worse. And I really hope this is the turning point, not just for Granite Jacker, but for the atmosphere inside the Emirates Stadium, because there are similarities to how toxic it got towards the end of the Arsene Wenger reign. And it needs to stop. They need to start getting behind the team. I know there are problems. I know many of them have lost faith in Unai Emery. But there's a different way to show that you're upset. The way to show it, for me, is after the game and not by screaming personal abuse at the players. Well, John, performances by the Gunners at the Emirates are clearly part of the underlying reason for the apathy too. Unai is under pressure after inconsistent results. Next up is Wolves. How difficult does it get? It's going to be tough. I mean, I don't think things are as bad as everyone is saying. Arsenal are fifth at the moment. They're only four points behind Manchester City. A good run really puts them in a good position, and we've seen they can put good good runs together. Last season, they went on a really long, unbeaten run. 
I'm not totally convinced that Unai Emery. I don't think he's a great manager. I think he's an excellent coach, but I don't think he's brilliant at man management. I think his English lets him down as well. I think there are communication difficulties. The fact that he left it up to the players to decide the captain worries me. I think he should be leading that team. We saw when he was at Paris Saint-Germain some problems with leadership. It almost seemed to be the, the big players like Neymar running the dressing room rather than Unai Emery. That can work if you have strong characters in the dressing room who will lead the team the right way, but it doesn't work if the, the dressing room starts to, starts to split and there are different cliques. So I, I'm not totally convinced in Unai Emery, but I do think there are reasons to be positive for Arsenal. The young players, the way the changes have been made in the setup behind the scenes, and their strikers as well, Lacazette and Aubameyang, are good enough to worry any Premier League defence. Manchester City were dealt with another blow to their makeshift defence, although they brought that upon themselves with Fernandinho picking up a red card against Aston Villa. How do they reorganise in the coming weeks? It's going to be difficult, but John Stones is back now, isn't he, from injury. I don't feel too sorry for Manchester City with all the money they've got. They're, they're able to, to build a really big squad. And I'm sure, you know, they will cope. This weekend, it's not going to be a huge issue. They're playing Southampton, whose confidence is at rock bottom. They lost 9-0 to Leicester City. Then, a decent performance, actually. Not too bad at the Etihad Stadium in the EFL Cup, losing by three goals to one. At least they scored. At least the fans had something to cheer. It's going to be very tough this weekend. Uh, I could Manchester City will cope without Fernandinho. I'm sure it will be it will be comfortable for them against Southampton. So it's not a big concern for me this weekend. So John, let's check out the games to come this weekend. Lampard's high-flying youngsters face Watford, Liverpool away to Aston Villa, and Everton face Spurs. Which key stories will you be chasing here? Yeah, Saturday is a really interesting day, isn't it? And Manchester United, some signs of recovery. Marcus Rashford back in form, that amazing free kick. Anthony Martial back in the team. Scott McTominay running the show in midfield. I think he's a really promising player. But a tough test at Bournemouth. You never quite know what you're going to get from Bournemouth. They're a frustrating team. One week, they'll be wonderful to watch. The next week, it's as if they've never played football together in their lives. So we wonder what Bournemouth will get this weekend. Aston Villa against Liverpool for me is a, is a game to watch this weekend I've been lucky enough to, to, to watch Aston Villa's last few matches at Villa Park for, for BBC Sport and they're an expansive team they're an attacking team but they do leave gaps at the back so I expect Liverpool to score a few goals and I can't yeah I can't see Aston Villa keeping a clean sheet in that game Everton against Tottenham always a game that I look forward to in the Premier League season and, and there, are, there are some good subplots here, aren't they? With Marco Silva under pressure. Another def heavy defeat at Goodison Park would mean, I think, he'd be closer towards the exit door. But are Tottenham getting back to somewhere near their best now? We've seen signs of recovery from them. It's another big test at Goodison Park. I love these Saturdays before a Champions League week. There's so much to talk about. There's so much excitement. I can't wait, George. Uh, the BBC John Bennett there with the Joy Sports BBC two-way series. Let's now check out the game to come this weekend. Joy Sports Moses here. has got this? Saturday's early evening kickoff in La Liga comes from Ramos Sanchez as fifth place Sevilla entertain fourth place Atletico Madrid. The pair are currently level on twenty points and just two behind leaders Barcelona. But both need a win from this fixture to remain firmly in the title argument. 
Champions Barcelona hand down their eighth successive win in all competitions against Levante. And Madrid London, their resounding win they craved against Leganes in midweek and hope they can follow up this weekend against Ruby's Real Betis. Bayern Munich will travel to take on Antwerp Frankfurt for this Saturday's German Bundesliga action. Antwerp are currently top of the Bundesliga's home form table. They will fancy their chances of taking a result this weekend versus a weakened Bayern side. Wolfsburg will have to take a result from a tricky trip to Dortmund to extend the undefeated Bundesliga run. Munching Gladbach will attempt to maintain their lead at the top of the Bundesliga as they face an out-of-form Leverkusen side. Saturday's late game in Syria is the Terrain Derby, with Juventus aiming to add to some fine form by piling on their rivals. Their visitors make the short trip to Torino aiming to stay out in front in the Syria title fight, with Inter Milan who take on Bologna just a point behind the leaders. Roma entertain Napoli in the Derby del Sol as the hosts continue their push for Champions League qualification and the visitors play catch-up to their fellow title contenders. And Marseille hosts Lille in a bid to revive fortunes and PSG face the young. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. Now we've got some four minutes to step out of here. Let's quickly do this. Uh, Oriku and Popo joins Oriku. While the Arsenal fans are bleeding, let's get into some of your messages. The question was very simple. Do you think it's... You, you guys, I was asking you guys, how are you just treating this man so harshly? I mean, talk about Nairobi. What have we got there in terms of some messages, Oriku? Well, this one is from Richard Kwekua, and he says, They're too harsh to say Mr. George Addo Jr., a coach who has been at the post for one and a half years now without a plan. He doesn't even know his best start in 11. Just analyze this guy. When he plays in the league, he always struggles to win. But when he plays in the Europa, he does very well. That means that a coach and his system can't fit the league and Arsenal and he surely needs to go always playing players at the wrong uh, positions. And uh, I think yeah, he goes on to say a lot more. Well, but, more. Uh, I think Caleb, Caleb Namichez says that uh, Inhead died too much. Favoritism <laughs> to the Warrior. Um, egocentric coach James AJ <laughs> says that the right thing must be done. Why did he have to sub Mesut Ozil and, uh, you know, the team continue to lose on penalties? Unai needs to be sacked. Uh, Sani Abacha says that we are not. He is just clueless. Uh, Kujo Frank says, how long did it take Conte and even Sari to win something? While as Jay says to George, 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 how many times did I mention your name? <laughs> Hashtag Unai out. Mohammed Nuruddin says, George Adopa, this man needs lashes before ah. sack. <laughs> Joseph uh, Nikwa says that uh, he should be sacked. Coco Crachy says that he should go. Abdullah Hadi says that things aren't right. Something isn't right somewhere. Well, I'm going to take your, your thoughts quickly. Remember that on first take later this evening, we'll have a proper discussion on uh, Unai Emery. Uh, so, Rick, what do you think? He's being treated too harshly right now by his critics? I don't think so. If this was sometime last season, then probably, yeah. But I think that he's had a job for over a year now. And uh, by now, the big issue with a lot of Arsenal fans is the fact that you're supposed to see a pattern by now. You're supposed to see a certain way that Arsenal are playing under Una Emery. And unfortunately, uh, that's not what people are seeing. Uh, currently in this Arsenal setup, uh, there's a lack of identity. And, uh, you know, fans cannot even say that these are the players that would start for us against Wolves over the weekend. So there's no certainty. There's no identity. There's a lot of confusion regarding the tactics. And that, I think, that has been evident on the pitch. Uh, there was a frame, a freeze frame of, you know, four players pointing to different places to where the centre-back should pass to. And that is usually the starting point of a build-up play. So if your four different players are thinking in different ways as to how you're supposed you have to start problem. your build-up play, then there's a big problem. Okay, Oreku, we'll hear more from Oreku, you know, on, on first take. That's about it for our show anyway, yeah? We're back next week with another great edition of the show. I'm George Adu Jr.
Thanks for listening to The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. The podcast will be available online at myjoyonline.com in 30 minutes. This production was powered by Joy Sports and supported by the BBC World Service.